0: turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Hope everybody had a great Christmas. Our night before Christmas cookies and coffee and caroling thing was really fun for those who were able to make it out. That, that might have to be an annual tradition. We'll see what the, what the Lord has. But after Christmas comes New Year's. And with New Year's comes a dilemma, if, if you're me, And the dilemma is: Do we spend a Sunday? Do we devote a Sunday to talking about plan and vision and mission and ministry for the coming year? It's the logical time to do it—New Year and New Year's resolutions and all of that. But I still remember four years ago, all kinds of pastors giving New Year's messages talking about their 2020 vision for 2020, and three months later we were in a pandemic and. everything burned. I think that was probably long enough, though. I suspect when I look at my social media feed tomorrow, I'm going to see a bunch of pastors and a bunch of churches talking about their Acts 2024 vision. I'm just guessing, but I think I'm right, that we're going to see a lot of sermons preached today about how none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And that's pretty good. I mean, that, I mean that, that, if, that's not bad. If you're looking for a one verse vision statement for the coming year, you could do worse than Acts 20:24. 20, But we don't actually have to dip out of our verse-by-verse study through Ephesians this morning to find God's plan for us, because purely by coincidence, (laughs) if you believe in stuff like that, there's a pretty good statement of the vision the Lord has given us right smack dab in our text this morning. Ephesians 2, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There are a lot of ways to outline this passage. The most straightforward one I've found rests in three pairs of words. At the beginning, Paul starts off verse one by saying, "'And you.'" And then verse 4, he pivots and says, but God. And then he wraps up with application in verse 10, for we. So that's our outline this morning. And you, Paul is going to talk about who we were before Jesus, who we were at the start. And then he's going to talk about God and the outworking of God's heart towards us. And then he's going to talk about for we. And he's going to ask the question, what is our part? So, three pretty straightforward bullet points, ten verses. Let's dive in. And you, verse one. Who were we before giving our lives to Christ? The first thing that Paul says about us, verse one, is that we were dead. Not people who are going to die. Not people who are mostly dead, because if you're mostly dead, you're partly alive. We were spiritual corpses. Ever have somebody say to you, You're dead to me? That was God talking to us, except we didn't hear Him because we were dead. And we don't like thinking about that very much. But we need to because we won't really fully understand the enormity of our salvation unless we understand what we were saved from. And what we were saved from, who we were, was dead people walking. Verse 2, Paul goes on to say, we were not only dead, we were depraved. We were taking our cues, our definition about what was right and wrong from the world. That, That phrase, that idea, the world, shows up 186 times in the New Testament. Almost every one of them has a negative, strong, negative connotation. Because the world is the kingdom where God is ignored. One pastor I know says that world is where sin is accepted and righteousness seems strange and that's about right. We were depraved, taking our cues from the world. We were defiant. We were following Satan in opposition to God because that's how he defines himself, right? Verse 2, Satan defines himself in terms of his opposition to God, and that's who we were following him, disobedient to God who created us. Groups take on the qualities of their leaders, and for the moment, Satan is the leader of the world leading creation away from in rebellion against its creator. Depraved, defiant, degenerate, lust of the flesh, running rampant, selfish desires of the mind, elevated as if they were truth. Our sin nature on full display, and because all of that was true, verse 3, we were doomed. Paul fancies it up. He says that we were children of wrath. And we were, all of us. He emphasizes that. He says, we all at the beginning, and then later he says, just as the others. He's emphasizing, Jew, Gentile makes no difference. All of us, apart from Jesus, were doomed to face God's wrath and face it eternally. We stumble over that word wrath, don't we? Because the way that we use it, wrath has the connotation of temper. We talk about a sudden outburst of wrath. But that's not what God's wrath is. God's wrath is his settled determination to punish sin. He's that way all the time. It's not sudden outbursts. It's who he is. It's an outworking of his holiness and his justice. And Paul reminds us, verse 3, that's what was waiting for us before Jesus. Eternal, unending wrath. We trip over wrath. Sometimes we trip over the eternal part. Sometimes that doesn't make sense to us. Eternal, unending, forever punishment. That seems a lot for just a few decades of sin. That doesn't seem like a proportional response. But, but, but hang on, don't we see the same principle in our judicial system? People can be imprisoned for life, right? E- even put to death in some states for crimes that take a moment to commit. How long does it take to pull the trigger? The length of the the sentence, the severity of the sentence, is is not a function of the duration of the crime. it's, It's the magnitude of the crime. Rebellion against a holy and perfect God who created us, who gave us life. Of course we were sentenced to hell forever because of the enormity of the crime. So put it together. Dead, depraved, defiant, degenerate, doomed. That was our reality. We were enslaved, serving those three familiar enemies, the world, verse 2, Satan, verse 2, self, verse 3, and we would have stayed that way eternally, but, verse 4, God. But God. Martin Lloyd-Jones looks at those two words and says, that's the entire gospel. But God. With those two words, everything changes. We were dead and defiant and everything else. We were doomed. God turns it into delight. In a way that only he could, in in, in a way only he would. Because as great and wretched as as we were, that was our reality, as great and wretched as we were, four qualities of God were greater still. His love, verse 4, his mercy, same verse. His grace, verse 5, and following and his kindness down in verse 7. In his love, God created us. Not to get anything from us. He didn't need anything. He was perfect in all of his ways. But to give everything to us. In his love, God created us. In his mercy, he withholds punishment from us. In his grace, he pours out favor upon us, favor we don't deserve. And and his kindness reminds us that he does all of that lavishly, eagerly, not begrudgingly. He gently, compassionately draws us close into relationship. All, all, All of which makes the reality of our sin that much more shameful, right? When we remember who God is, when we think about that's who we were rebelling against. That's who we were hating. God who looked down on us when we were still sinners while we were his enemies, verse 5, and kept on loving us. Kept on extending mercy and grace and kindness toward us. Sent his son to minister all of those things to us. And for those who accept Jesus... Those who would rather face God on the basis of his love, mercy, grace, and kindness as opposed to his holiness and justice and wrath. Those who accept Jesus, Paul continues, those who accept Jesus enter into three certainties. The first is power. We're made alive, verse 5. Which makes sense. We were dead. The opposite of dead is alive. but but scratch it a little harder. The opposite of death is resurrection. Paul is tying this back to what he talked about in chapter 1. And he's reminding us the power of the resurrection. The power that gave Jesus new life in resurrection gives us new life when we're born again and empowers that new life. We're made alive with him and dwelt by him. We have his power. And, second thing Paul says, we have his position. We're raised up with him, verse 6. On the cross, Jesus purchased our victory, our standing over all of our enemies. How does that work? How did Jesus purchase victory for me? See it every Sunday. One player kicks the ball or throws the ball or catches the ball or runs the ball across a line. One player scores, whole team wins. Whole team wins, whole city celebrates. Unless you're in Minnesota. (laughs) Then that almost never happens. But on the cross, Jesus put the ball across the goal line. We still get to be part of that victory. On the cross, death and judgment were defeated. One day we're going to ascend to heaven and celebrate that, that victory with Jesus eternally, but we still get to celebrate it now. And even now, here's here's the third thing, even now, in a very real sense, verse 6, we are seated with him. Which which is a reminder that we are the fulfillment of his purpose. We're testimony to the success of his plan. What plan? His plan to love his enemies even at the cost of his life. And that evidence, the evidence that we are, Paul says in verse 7, will testify forever the proof that you and I represent, the proof of God's love and mercy and grace and kindness, we will display every day in this life and for all of eternity. Forever and ever and ever, amen, we will be able to say to the rest of creation, look at me. Together we will be able to say, look at us and see God's love and mercy, and grace, and kindness. That was God's purpose, Paul says, verse 7. That was his purpose for creation. That was his purpose for the cross. To show all of creation, for all of the ages, all that he is. It was God's purpose. It was Christ's purpose. And now, it's become our purpose. His power, his position, his purpose are all ours. And we didn't earn any of it, Paul says in verse 8. We didn't deserve any of it. We did nothing to merit it, did nothing to earn it. All we did is receive it. Power, position, purpose, everything, all of it is from God. Verse 8 and 9, we received it all because of grace. And we talked a lot about that in Romans, didn't we? Helicopter up for just a moment. Does it strike you that everything that Paul has been talking about is really just a capsule summary of the book of Romans? he's, He's consolidating it. And then in verse 10, look ahead. Paul ends up the same place that he ends up in Romans. Verse 10, Paul comes to the same conclusion that he takes 11 chapters to get to in Romans. Verse 10 is chapter 12, isn't it? For we... This is big bullet point number three. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I get that I'm skimming over verse 8 and 9. Not because they're not important, they're critically important. They're huge. They're the essence of the gospel. Saved by grace uh, through faith. But we've talked about that a lot. Like every week when we were in Romans, we talked about it. We talked about the verse. We talked about the concept behind the verse. We talked about grace. So I'm, I'm, I'm skimming over it, not because it's not important, but because I think at this point it's familiar. And because I don't want us to miss the connection between verse 10 and everything leading up to it. Paul talks about our reality. He starts off saying dead, defiant, doomed, defeated by our enemies, world, Satan, self, God intervenes, God whose qualities are love, mercy, grace, and kindness, Send us son to die in our place so today we have the certainty of his power, his position, and we can continue in his purpose. And, and all of that takes us to the opportunity that we have to continue his work. It's, it's from him, it's for him, it's about him. We can't let the magnificence of verses 8 and 9 and, and it is magnificent, but we can't let that magnificent blind us to the connectedness between verse 10 and everything that comes before. Kent, Kent Hughes outlines this passage differently, and, and, he, and he captures this connectivity. He talks about, verses 1 through 3, talking about amazing depth. But God, he takes us to amazing height. How? Through amazing grace for what purpose amazing work work that will are simultaneously the product of and now today participants in and i think that's elegant and there's a part of us that doesn't like it very much because <laughs> we still carry around this sin nature and we look at our salvation and we think it's all about us god's love mercy grace kindness well of course he gives them to us why wouldn't he we're great. I mean, deep down, our, our, our sin nature, our pride, we want to believe we're really quite something. Something special. Something deserving. Except, except no. God is special. God is deserving of all praise, honor, and glory. Y- y- yes, we benefit from who he is from, what is, from what he does. We're forever changed by his love and grace. But it's his love and grace. It's his mercy and sacrifice. It's his blood poured out for our benefit, yeah, but ultimately for his glory. And, and, and now having benefited, now being who we are, new creations in Christ, his workmanship, verse 10, better translation, his masterpieces. Today, we have the opportunity to glorify Him by letting the work that He has done and is doing in us also continue through us, pour out from us, as we love others in His name. That's why James tells us faith without works is dead. If God has worked in us, James says, well, then that work will be evident. The work that he does in us will be seen by the outworking of that through us. If God has worked in us, he'll prove it. You've heard the phrase, we're not saved by good works. That's verses 8 and 9. But verse 10 tells us we are saved for good works. Martin Luther put it this way. He said, faith alone saves. Again, verses 8 and 9. Faith alone saves. But he goes on to say, verse 10, faith that saves is never alone, it's always accompanied by good works, always accompanied by ministry that testifies to who God is and what he's done and what he's doing. Where's workmanship, another way to translate that is craftsmanship, we're not art pieces sitting on a shelf intended to just look pretty. We're craftsmanship, we're made with a purpose, we have a function. We're remade by the Master's love, grace, and kindness. But our work, our function, our purpose, our ministry is to love in a a way that we never wanted before, in a way that we never could before. We're made for ministry. Ministry in His character. Ministry that doesn't benefit us. Ministry that glorifies Him. Ministry that isn't about us. Ministry that's about others because love always is. By this my Father is glorified, Jesus says, John 15 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. That's what it is to be a Christ follower, Jesus says. Follow me out of death, receive my power, share my position, be part of my plan. What plan? To minister God's merciful love and saving grace to the world. How do we do that? We're God's masterpiece. New Living Translation. We're God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Jesus Christ so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. What things? A lot of things we could do. Every one of us has skills, abilities, opportunities, a lot of things we could do. What are the things we're called to do? That's the important question. Because because God is under no obligation to meet me with his power if I step outside his purpose. God is under no obligation to meet me, use me, anoint me, equip me, empower me to do things that are about me or that come from me or that spring forth from my mind. Even, Even ministry that seems good and godly. What does Paul say in verse 10? God has prepared good works. It's not for us to think them up. It's for us to walk in them. And when we do, his power is available. His power is available to carry out his purpose, his plan. What does that mean? It means if I wake up tomorrow and I decide to plant a Calvary Chapel in Topeka, doesn't sound sinful. sounds like a good idea. There's no Calvary in Topeka. Church planning is good. Spirit-filled Bible teaching, people loving, Christ-centered community is good. Go into all the world and make disciples. Hey, that's what I'm doing, God. But is that what God has called me to do? And, and, and even if it is, is it when God has called me to do it? Is that the good work that he's prepared for me today? That's, that's part of the challenge. is not, not clinging to the things that God revealed to me yesterday because they're familiar and safe and I've gotten kind of good at them. Not, not reaching for what I think that he has for me tomorrow because it sounds new and exciting and different. No, what part of his plan do I get to be part of right now here today? Notice, by the way, it's not if, it's what. The question isn't if God has ministry for me, it's what ministry does he have for me? God, verse 10, has good works prepared for every single one of us. And he wants to tell us what they are. God didn't create us to turn around and hide from us. Most of the time, if we're waiting for him, he's waiting for us. He's waiting for us to ask or he's waiting for us to tell him, whatever the answer is, God, I'll do it. Because if we're going to sit in judgment on whether we like it or not and whether we think it's a fit and whether we really feel like it on a Tuesday afternoon, well, then why should God reveal to us? We've got to ask the question, though. And, 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 and do the things we need to do to hear the answer. If I'm not confessing sin promptly, I'm going to have a hard time hearing from God. If I'm not meditating on the word diligently, listening, waiting on God as I pray patiently. If I'm not staying consistently in fellowship to hear what God might say through my brothers and sisters. If I'm not understanding my spiritual gifts and looking for opportunities to use them willingly. If I'm not doing those things, then I'm still acting like the person I used to be. The person that Paul describes back in verse 2. If I'm not actively listening... And laying down my will and surrendering, God, what do you have for me? Well, the, the, then I'm still acting like a son of disobedience. Because I have no intention of following. <laughs> at which point God'll wait. He's good at waiting. He'll wait until I repent. He'll wait until I come back to a right understanding that ministry isn't a burden, it's a blessing. And it's not an option. It's a responsibility that follows directly from a right understanding of the gospel. From amazing depths to amazing heights, because of amazing grace, now today, God's amazing work gets to be on display, gets to be seen in us. And the ministry that he has yet to do, he gets to do through us. So what are the good works that God has prepared for us for Calvary in 2024? A lot of that answer, we're going to figure it out as we go, as as we walk in obedience to the things that he shows us. God usually doesn't reveal the next thing until we've been faithful with the last thing, right? He doesn't let us enroll in ministry 202 until we've completed ministry 101. So, So claiming to have the whole picture, the whole year planned out, calendarized, organized, that's... That's that's presumptuous. That's a little ridiculous. But but as Rob and I, along with the other leaders, have fasted and prayed and sought the Lord, one thing that we we know for sure. One thing that the Lord has continued to point us toward the, I guess the through line or the theme of whatever we do, whatever events and ministries and activities that we. the, The through line is the community. And if it sounds familiar, it's because that was the burden the Lord laid on us last year. But we put it on the altar. We didn't assume, and the Lord gave it back and said, yeah, it, we're not done with this. This is, this is still my direction. And, and our understanding of what that means, the vision that he's given us for building, for pursuing community here at Calvary, revolves around five key priorities. And, and just to kind of go through them quickly, the first we call Sunday morning experience for the, for the sake of calling it something. Everything Jesus did, he did well. And we believe that God would have us do the things we do when we come together on Sundays really, really well. To make this a great place to come together, to worship the Lord, to study his word, to celebrate his, his love. And, and we've been picking away at a few small things over the last couple of months. You m- might have noticed if you sit in overflow, the sound quality, we've, we've been pretty intentional about, about trying to improve that hospitality we've been leaning into. I get that those are small things. Those are not mission critical, which is why we started there, because it's low-hanging fruit. Little things, little effort, big difference. But, but we want to make sure that the things we're trying to do to bless people actually do and don't end up distracting You know, having an overflow room for people who deal with claustrophobia or people who have a cough or need to keep a child with them. We want to be able to do that, but we're not succeeding if my lips and my voice look like a bad Japanese overdub. The the things that we're working on now, still under the category of Sunday morning, a little bit more substantive, you might have noticed that Rob or someone is always at the info table near the entrance. An info table with somebody with information? Are you serious? Yeah, I didn't say that all of this was. You know, some of it is obvious. Um, we've moved the prayer team to the front of the room after service. A number of years ago, we said, "Hey, let's put people in in the corners and by the doors," and we did that with good heart and intention. Let's let's spread people out. The challenge, the feedback that we got is. You didn't really know if somebody was there to pray with you or just standing by the door. So we're going to simplify prayer team up front after service. Children's ministry, though, is the big thing, and Rob made reference of the to this during announcements. New curriculum online this week. New structure online this week. Um, we're, we're instead of having one person oversee all of children's church, we're having lead teachers for each age group. Um, and we're trying to specialize teachers more so that kids are seeing the same faces week over week. Teachers building relationships with the same kids and with their parents. Um, and, and a lot of other changes that we're making, all with the goal of, of loving our little ones great for, for their sake. And, and so that it's one less thing that we're thinking about when we're here hey, are, are my children really being loved with the love of Jesus? Are they learning anything? <laughs> So I'm sure more opportunities to build community on Sunday morning will, will appear as we go through the year, but when everything's important, nothing is important, and that's this is where the Lord has told us to begin. Second big bucket, part and parcel of our Sunday morning experience is the space in which it happens. So the second area the Lord has led us to is the facility. I'm sure you've noticed if you ventured into the back hall, the first phase of trying to make an old elementary school look warm and welcoming and conducive to worship and fellowship has been making the children's wing look I don't know welcoming rather than threatening and oppressive <laughs> <laughs> our next phase uh, what we'd like to do is open up the front part of the building so that we actually have space to talk and eat and actually have a conversation without feeling like you're in somebody's way <laughs> So to do that, we're going to open up um, either the, what's now the office or overflow or both, put some furniture there so that there's actually fellowship space. And we've got engineering plans and architectural drawings to do that. We managed to accomplish that in 2023. What we don't have yet is a contractor willing to work with us at a rate that we can remotely afford. So what we think we're going to end up doing is GCing it ourselves, few boxes to check before we can go ahead with that so what we might do in the meantime is touch a few issues here in the sanctuary sound lighting carpeting seating kinds of things again with the goal of eliminating or minimizing distraction not trying to build a palace we're not going for fancy that's not who we are it's not who we've ever been it's not what god has called us to but but functional is the thing we keep saying to each other, because it's what God keeps saying to us, is, is the goal is simple but good. So that's, that's the facility. We want facility to work for community, not against community. But what about actually building that community? Next priority, number three, is in-reach, which is a completely made-up word. <laughs> but, it, but it pulls together a few different things. Equipping, connecting, and supporting equipping has been something that historically we've we focused a lot on teaching and counseling and mentoring our interns are obviously a big component of that and we want to continue that program maybe even expand it over the last couple of years we've also been really diligent it's less obvious but um, we've worked hard to ensure that every teen in the fellowship who wants an adult mentor has one we'd love to see that expand beyond youth um, into young adults and even beyond that so that Every Paul is a Timothy and every Timothy a Paul. We want to bring back some of the classes that have fallen by the wayside. Biblical counseling, foundations in the faith, apologetics, maybe some new things. You know, they, a lot of that was was a casualty of COVID and, and to some extent shifting priorities even before that. Besides classes... Um, really want to bring some some guest speakers in and perhaps even do a conference or two this year 2023 we very intentionally pursued community within our region you know we went and and taught at their camps and their conferences and and filled their pulpits and their pastors came here on on Sundays and Wednesdays and I think that was fruitful which God led us to do it so of course it was but 2024, I think that, that the path to, to community is going to be a little bit different. Pray specifically, um, Patty Height and, and I are trying to line up schedules. Really would like to, to bring her back in 2024. So, so that's equipping. Another aspect of, of inReach is connecting. Not only being the body of Christ, but welcoming people into this body of Christ. Both those who are, who are new to the faith and maybe new to us. Last year, we, we did more than nothing. We had a church-wide event once a quarter, men's retreat, women's retreat. I think the youth had like three different retreats or conferences. I'd like to carefully add some more things to the calendar, both, both I guess, demographic things, you know, men's breakfasts and, and women's fellowships, um, maybe some larger gatherings, but, but also small gatherings, we added one home group last year. I'd like to add a couple, three more this year, if, if the Lord permits, because it's in small groups where the church really becomes the church, right? Third in reach of uh, third aspect of in reach supporting, supporting through things like prayer, like visitation, practical helps, and and we've we've for for a long time we've lumped that together and called it pastoral care. Trying to get away from that phrase because it, it's accurate. Those things are pastoral in the sense of caring and tending, shepherding, but it's misleading in the sense that they aren't the exclusive purview of pastors. For, for a few years now, we've had a series of awesome pastors and elders overseeing pastoral care. Dakota, before him Rob, before him Mike, before him James, and, and supported by, by Amy and Barb and, and other sisters. But the Lord is burdening us to share that responsibility more broadly, to raise up a team to be his hands and feet in those areas. So that's in-reach, equipping, connecting, supporting. Before that, we talked about facility and Sunday morning, I guess you could call that upreach, improving the space and the structure for, for worship and fellowship. Fourth priority is outreach, the fourth way that God would have us pursue community. Outreach both locally and globally. Once upon a time, our vision was to identify what our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, what our outermost parts ministries were. Because that's the pattern that Jesus gives us in Acts 1 verse 8. And we kind of did for a while. Jerusalem was, was mead and we used to have some neat outreach in Plainview. Judah was kind of Kentucky, Oklahoma, I'm sorry, Kansas, Oklahoma, um, Missouri, and we were doing disaster relief in that region samaria was western kentucky our youth took a number of trips there and on in most parts we had relationships in in haiti and kenya but but over time a lot of those partnerships have fallen by the wayside people coming and going at, at their end and priorities shifting in their ministries we've continued to pursue outreach but a lot of it has been ad hoc it's been it's been one-off kinds of things and it's been substantial in a lot of cases. When, when the war was, was brewing in Ukraine, we were, we were uh, heavily involved in some ministry there. When the war in Israel began in October, we took everything we had in our missions account and we sent it to a Calvary, um just, just outside of Gaza to, to and we said, spend it on humanitarian aid and just help people in Jesus' name." And, and, and whether that's a long-term thing for us or not, I don't know. But I think in, in 2024, God would have us pursue partnerships here in Mead. I mean, we did a lot last year. Um, when Tenth Hour was here, we knocked on virtually every door in, in Mead and, and shared gospel resources and talked to people who wanted to talk about Jesus. And of course, the Mead cleanup and our, our youth continue to reach out to the, to the seniors and, uh, and to the shut-ins in, in Mead. But there's a lot more we can do to shine God's light in our neighborhood. Judah, Wichita, or Judea, rather, Wichita. Um, we continue to be burdened for moms and, and dads, families that weren't planned, families in need of help, um, the foster, the foster uh, families that we've been coming alongside through foster ICT. So much more to do there. Samaria, there actually may be a door reopening in western Kentucky. We can pray about that. And on our most parts, it could be Israel. Um, tenth Hour does a lot in Uganda and Peru, and we're praying about pursuing that. Ukraine, there may be some things for us there, or there may be something different altogether. But I, I'm, I'm confident that the Lord has partnerships, relationships he wants to reveal to us this year. And then finally, fifth area, in, in a sense, this is outreach and inreach and everything coming together. But fifth priority for 2024, fifth thing that the Lord has shown us is media and technology. A lot of stuff we hope to do in 23 is still pending. Kind of like Rob was saying during announcements, you know, New Year's resolutions are the things we meant to do last year, and it, it, it wasn't laziness or lack of diligence. It was some new challenges came up with radio and streaming and you know, only so many hands to go around. Thanks to technology and training, we've, we've had good outcomes in the work that we've done. Quality and reliability in, in, in both of those channels are a lot, lot better than they were for a while. Still work to do. A lot of our archives are corrupted. We're trying to cor- uh, correct them. We've got more that we want to do with radio, and, and, and web is still sitting there. But, but we're gaining, not losing, and that wasn't true for the whole last year. We're gaining, not losing, and that's important because of the world we live in. A lot of people in the world that we live in live on the web. So that's what the Lord has been speaking to, to those of us in leadership. What about you? And I'm not asking because we're trying to build a kingdom here. I'm asking because God is building his kingdom and he's invited us to be a part of it. And, and, and everything I just talked about are some options. <laughs> Everything I just talked about, there's an opportunity for the body to participate. Those aren't the only opportunities. And anywhere you see people serving, there's an opportunity. But there are opportunities in everything that I just named. Facility. If you've got trade skills, if you want to learn trade skills, Sunday morning, children's church, along with ushers in media and hospitality and, and, and prayer and everything else, but, but children's especially, I think Rob mentioned we're adding classes. Um, we're 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 trying to be more age group targeted. We're trying to rotate teachers less and build those relationships. To pull that off, we need a deeper bench. Quite honestly, so childrens is a huge opportunity. In reach as we pursue equipping mentors. Do you want to mentor someone young or young in the faith? I don't know how to do that. Guess what? People do, and we can teach you. And there might be opportunities, do you want to teach something? But let's talk about classes. And, and as we launch classes, big opportunities for pioneers willing to, willing to sit in those classes, willing to go first and give us feedback. Connecting as we plan events. We need planners and organizers and hosts and helpers. Again, with, with the goal of cultivating a deeper bench so it's not the usual suspects doing all the usual things that that becomes a a self-fulfilling prophecy becomes a vicious circle well everything is covered so i don't need to do anything well i guess i need to do it again because i don't see anybody and so we we need to actively welcome people in and then the area of supporting that's even more true because we're trying to push responsibility out from the office into a team that can minister proactively and reactively both to love people in christ's name outreach who do you know I, I know a lot of you are involved in ministries that don't originate with Calvary. What, what connections can you help make? What partnerships can you help facilitate? And, uh, and as the Lord speaks, uh, speaks to us about Kentucky or Uganda or Ukraine, I'm really praying that we'd be able to send at least some small teams, some spy out the land teams um, out this year to see what the Lord might have for us in some of these partnerships. Maybe God's calling you to go. If not go, maybe he's calling you to sponsor someone. And then media and technology. The, the most recent teaching um, that we've edited for our program was when we were going through Life of Christ. So there's, there's a lot of teaching that's come across this pulpit that hasn't been edited and formatted for radio. That's an opportunity. There's media that needs to be converted to, to uh, cloud format. I look at it and I say, well, that should be easy. Everything is CD or DVD. It turns out there's like 11 different formats for each of them. And, and, and we, we have more we want to do with social media. And when we cross over to the new website, there's testing and training, and I'm getting in the weeds. But the point is there's a lot. God's challenging us in a lot of areas in 2024. He wouldn't be doing that if he wasn't prepared to raise up a lot of hands, a lot of hearts. And, I mean, that's just the stuff we know about. That's just the stuff he's shown us so far. Every one of them an opportunity to pray. And and, and 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 at least for some of us, I hope an opportunity to serve. Where do I sign up? Please don't. Not today. It, Pastor Rob can answer questions that you have, or or I can. But let's end where we began. Where does Paul tell us ministry begins? It starts with an understanding we are his workmanship. Ministry begins with meditating on the work that he's done in us, who we were, the enemies that we served, who God is and what he did to save us and who he's made us. Those things come together in the opportunities that he gives us. Our ministry follows from his ministry. The work he has for us to do is a product of the workmanship we are. So this week, before we dive headlong into something that sounds appealing or I've done it before so I think I'm good at it, or spend some time alone with God this week. Spend some time in prayer, in worship, in the Word. Meditate on salvation. Meditate on amazing grace. And from there, begin to ask His direction for the good works that He's prepared for us to walk in. Not if he's prepared something. He's already answered that question. He has. For all of us. But God, what is it? What have you made me for? What do you have for me today? Spend some time with the Lord. Ask him about it. When you're done asking, be sure to take some time to listen. (laughs) This might involve some waiting. That's okay. If along the way God says, okay, something that we need to do first, there's some sin that we need to talk about, that's okay too. That's good. Confess, repent, rejoice that you get to, and then keep listening. Be open to the possibility that the ministry he's calling to you might be here, might also be out there in the community, might be way out there somewhere you haven't been before, in Ukraine or Uganda. Or it it might be in, in your own home, might be in your own heart, some work that God wants to do just one-on-one, the two of you, alone together. I don't know, and you won't either until you ask. How will God answer? How will God show me what he has for me? Be open to the possibility he might speak with his still, small voice, accompanied by the peace that surpasses understanding. He might, he might answer that way, or he might not. He might speak through his word, a passage that you just happen to be reading, or a pastor on the radio just happens to be teaching, or something a friend just happens to be discussing. He might also speak through a brother or sister, someone who knows you, someone who's praying for you, or someone who just met you and says, yo, I've got a word for you. Could be any of those things. Could be a combination of those things. Probably will be a combination of those things. But one thing's for sure. If we're genuinely seeking the Lord and doing the things we need to do to hear from him, he will answer. And when he does, then Rob and I and the other elders will be excited to talk about that answer with you. Discuss the first steps, pray about the next steps, and pray, Acts 20, 24, that together we would finish our race with joy, the ministry we receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In the places that He's called us to, through the gifts that He's given us, in the community in which He's placed us, in the community in which He blesses us. That's actually not such a bad vision for 2024 after all. Lord, we lay ourselves before You. We kneel at Your feet. We rejoice that we are Your workmanship. And you've created us and crafted us to use us. Open our hearts, our minds, open our eyes to those good works that you've prepared beforehand. War with our fear, come against our complacency, meet us with peace and purpose and power as we walk in obedience to love people and glorify your name.